America's 35th president, John F. Kennedy, continues to fascinate us. A Time Magazine cover story from July 2nd was titled, What We Can Learn from JFK. In several articles, the issue explored issues of leadership by looking back at the Kennedy legacy. The lead article in the feature was by journalist David Talbot. His current bestseller, Brothers, The Hidden History of the Kennedy Years, breaks new ground in his examination of both John and Robert Kennedy's relationship. David Talbot's piece for Time was titled, Warrior for Peace. It points out that JFK made every effort to avoid military action despite the Cold War hawks who sought to push him in that direction. Kennedy said that we must lead by following our ideals, not by force. It's a view that makes him appear more than ever like a leader worthy of admiration. David Talbot is the founder and former editor-in-chief of Salon.com. The New York Times has hailed him as a pioneer of online journalism. We traveled to San Francisco on July 25th to hear his address to the Distinguished Commonwealth Club. That talk delved at length into the matter of the JFK assassination, with analysis that certainly ran counter to that other Commonwealth Club addressee we spoke to recently, Vincent Bugliosi. In his research for Brothers, David Talbot asked questions of remaining confidants of the Kennedys to clarify RFK's mysteriously ambivalent attitude about what really happened to his brother. What emerged from this research was the fact that Robert Kennedy, despite public proclamations to the contrary, believed from day one that his brother's murder was not the work of a single individual. Far from being an endorser of the official line, the attorney general brother of the slain president was, in reality, the first person to believe that the murder was a conspiracy. It is just that with Lyndon Johnson above him and J. Edgar Hoover now below him in the Justice Department, the attorney general did not believe he was in a position to do much about it. He was, however, determined to win the presidency himself and go after those responsible. Brothers, we would note is riveting reading. In numerous instances, it provides nuanced answers to questions the mainstream media has failed for the most part to even ask. We're very pleased to be joined today by the author of Brothers, The Hidden History of the Kennedy Years. David Talbot, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you very much. Before we talk about the book and your article in Time, I would like to talk a bit about Salon.com. It's now an institution, but uh, not so long ago, online publications were really not a factor in American journalism. What, What led you to found Salon? Well, desperation. It's the kind of desperation, unfortunately, we're seeing even more of these days where newspapers are are, uh, in decline, laying off more and more people. I was working at the time for the San Francisco Examiner, which was a lively afternoon paper, many people uh, might remember, before it became uh, the current Examiner. But this was the Examiner owned by the Hearst family, uh, Hearst Corporation, and Will Hearst was the publisher, and he brought together a lot of colorful people. And then after a very bitter strike that some of you might remember in 1995 here in San Francisco, Will Hearst himself left, and I, I saw the writing on the wall, the old media in rapid decline, and the Internet coming along just at that moment, the web. I thought it as our salvation, you know, the uh, rescue boat that we could jump to. And so I was one of the first, as you say, to start an online publication, but it was very difficult. We had to convince advertisers, the, the readers themselves, and ourselves, in a way, that uh, the Internet would be a publishing medium. You know, we had many, many near-death experiences along the way, but uh, we hung in there, and I, I stayed at Salon for 10 years as editor-in-chief before I, I left to write the book, but Salon is still going strong. And we should note that Salon has had a few scoops along the way, has it not? 
Well, yes. I think our, our first claim to fame, of course, was infamous Henry Hyde story. We were in the midst of uh, casting our memories back now to the Clinton years, the, in the midst of the impeachment madness, and President of the United States was going to be impeached over a consensual private sex act, and Republicans were bringing their full fury to this, as was the Washington media and much of the national media, to our utter dismay and confusion at Salon. How could the country have been hijacked this way? And, and Instead of dealing with all the important national and international issues of the day, the entire country, thanks to our media and the Republican attack machine, was obsessed with Monica Lewinsky and, and President Clinton, what they had done privately. So uh, we began to investigate the Republican attack machine and Henry Hyde himself, who was the esteemed congressman who was about to sit in judgment on uh, President Clinton's sexual activities as the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and we broke the news that it turned out that Henry Hyde himself had his own, as he put it, indiscreet private life. So all hell broke loose after that. It became a complete circus. We all know what happened. President Clinton survived uh, by the skin of his teeth. But the country was, I, I believe, completely derailed during those years. It was very unfortunate. And again, you know, looking at the Kennedy you know, years, as I have been recently for my book, you see once again how the national media has let the country down. They did it with the Kennedy assassination. They did it with Vietnam. They did it during the insanity of the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And they did it in the run-up to the war in Iraq. You've seen the bumper sticker, in case of rapture, this car will be unoccupied. You've seen the bestseller list, the Left Behind series doing a land office business. And you've surely seen the TV shows, lacquered hair preachers pounding the pulpit of their megachurches shouting that the end of the world is near. The matter of the end of times, Armageddon, and what is called the rapture, has enraptured a lot of people in recent decades. Now, it is hard to live in contemporary America without having some notion of what Christian salvation is supposed to be, whether you just drive by a nativity scene on the way to the mall for Christmas shopping, or if you go to Bible study every Sunday, you're bound to be familiar with the notion of a Messiah who saves the faithful. But some Christian churches in America took a few obscure scriptural references and transmogrified them into this doctrine that states that some very peculiar events are about to unfold. This Unusual set of beliefs includes one scenario where the faithful are zapped off the earth like Mr. Spock, Sulu, and Captain Kirk in the transporter room of the Starship Enterprise. This strange and dramatic fundamentalist theology got author, playwright, and stand-up comic Jim Gerard to sit down and write about it. The result is his Cliff Notes version of the Book of Revelations as interpreted by contemporary Bible thumpers. The book is titled, Beam Me Up Jesus, A Heathen's Guide to the Rapture which should give you an idea of just how serious Mr. Gerard takes this apocalyptic flapdoodle. On the cover, one sees, in fact, a pair of polished black wingtips, empty, with smoke curling upwards from them. We knew that he was just the sort of guy we wanted to examine this Armageddon stuff with, so joining us now by phone from New York is the author of Beam Me Up Jesus, Jim Gerard. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Jim. Thanks for having me on. That was a great intro. I said it better myself. <laughs> I want to start off by noting that my Honda, which I sold a couple years back, had a bumper sticker on it that said, in case of rapture, can I have your car? Well, in the book, I actually have bumper stickers for people who, if 
they don't want to get raptured. <laughs> they should say, like, I break for transgendered, for example, is one of them. Uh, the book is not only a satire of the belief system, it's a, it's a burlesque of the commercialization, the, you know, the profiteering that a lot of people have, have done, most pertinently the uh, Left Behind series, which are dramatize in rather adolescent fashion the uh, coming Armageddon, the rapture, and the after effects. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't as familiar with this as they might be. Could we start with maybe just a 60-second summary of what this plot of the end of times is believed to be by the type of Christians who, who read the Left Behind series? Just kind of a quick run-through. Sure. And let me preface this by saying that even among the, the believers, there's a lot of disagreement about certain time sequences and other things uh, regarding the rapture. But basically, it's a belief that, as you said, was sort of extracted um, from the book of Revelation in the, in the New Testament and various other books in the Bible uh, and uh, made into a belief uh, that a certain number of God's chosen, and actually there's an exact number, 144,000, I don't know how they arrived at that. I think it's 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, mm-hmm. plus some spare parts from the Cleveland Indians. I'm not, sure, I'm not <laughs> sure how they got at that. Imminently, any day now, which they've been saying for the last couple of millennia, but, uh, you know, God is going to come back and uh, fight his, his uh, climactic battle with Satan. Uh, but before that, or during it, or after it, depending on which segment of the rapture community you belong to, uh, these chosen people, only 144,000 of them now. So it's like a lotto. It's not a lot of people. You, you could, you'd have a hard time getting Fresno up into heaven if the, well, that's the only number you're going to work with. These Christians are going to be raptured, meaning they're going to be levitated, apparently, or teleported or something into heaven in a blink of an eye, as it, as it says in the scripture or somewhere. <laughs> that's a common phrase. And leaving their clothes behind so they'll all be naked. Okay, because God doesn't do laundry. He's got enough to do. <laughs> and then God will fight Satan for the next seven years. And that period is known as the Tribulation, during which there will be a, a reign of terror unlike anything the world's ever seen, calamities uh, uh, hitherto unheard of. And everyone will suffer who's left behind, even the other Christians. Of course, at the end of that time, they'll rejoin the original raptured group in heaven, and everybody else will you know, die and and the rest of eternity uh, watching, you know, uh, VH1 and hell or something. I'm yeah, not sure what that is. I'm a little unclear about how, as this process is going on, and, and basically locusts are showing up with little human heads on them with stingers like scorpions, that's bound to convince a lot of people that maybe they were on the wrong track. <laughs> yeah, the smoke locusts. That's a, something that people keep bringing up. It's, it's one of the particularly hysterical or grotesque uh, and, 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 and just ludicrous aspects of the scenario, which, by the way, is the book of Revelation is as violent and hyperbolically, you know, hideous as any any television show or, or slasher flick, you know, that you can imagine. It's what I call bad neocon Jesus <laughs> coming back to take revenge. Yeah, not, not the liberal Jesus, this is the bad... No, it's the not bad. good, kind, liberal, turn-the-other-cheek, New Testament Jesus. The no. Charles Bronson Jesus. It's definitely Charles Bronson Jesus. 
Yeah, I was a little confused about how, and, and, and of course, uh, a lot of Jews are still waiting around for the first coming of the Messiah. I imagine when these locusts are flying around, a lot of them are going to say, geez, maybe, maybe we were wrong and we need to convert. I guess at least that's what the literature says. It's a last-ditch conversion effort, too. <laughs> but but it's, it's a contradiction, because only 144,000 are going to be allowed to get on the rocket ship or yeah. whatever, whatever it is that's going to teleport people up to heaven. But you'd hate to be that really, really good Christian that just didn't quite make the cut. Yeah, if you, if you doubted any time during your <laughs> life, if you, you know, you're, you're out. And, and that, that's actually dramatized in, in the Left Behind books and, and, and videos, which I had the, you know, the displeasure of having to screen and read uh, some of them. Yeah, yeah, we need to talk about the books and the movies. You mentioned them in, in your book, Beam Me Up Jesus. Uh, what what is the the plotter? I, I wasn't say the plots, but I guess it really is just the plot of of that Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye. It, it's really convoluted. It starts out with this airplane pilot who's one of the protagonists, and he's flying an airliner, and suddenly he gets a report from his hot secretary, <laughs> who he has a lust lust for in his heart, mm-hmm. uh, much you know to the much to his inner conflict with his um, holy roller wife, but he gets a report from this uh, cabin that passengers are <laughs> disappearing <laughs> out of their clothes, and as I put it, that's what happens when you ride coach. But <laughs> And then uh, he, he gets conf- confirmation at some point this is happening all over the world. The rapture are all being taken off, and so in the middle of thing, you know, some of them are, you know, running railroads and airliners and machines, and of course, there's, you know, with tragic, violent consequences as they are suddenly unmanned. It's a long, kind of apocalyptic story about how he finally comes upon this protagonist. There, finally comes around and realizes the folly of his, of his straying ways, because his wife and child are also raptured. They stretch this out to seven, six or seven volumes. Now, yeah. I'd only read the first one of which. Yeah. But there's the Antichrist is involved, who's this Romanian, uh, super smooth diplomat, Kissinger-esque kind of diplomat who preaches world peace. Of course, that is the sure sign of the Antichrist. We don't sure. want peace. No, hell no. <laughs> no. And I guess he's, no. he's like, in, in the book. He's like he's like actually a product of two males through stem stem cell work or something like that. Or he's. Like, <laughs> I think that's in a later book, but yes. <laughs> he's a test tube homosexual. <laughs> Perfect. Even the gay community would be, be horrified at that. Well, Jim, I hear that in the finale, Jesus leads a tank battle shooting knives out of his mouth, and i got to say, frankly, that does not remind me of the Christ I remember from the catechism of my youth. <laughs> no, it's more, it's more like a Vegas act, which uh, <laughs> reminds me of, you know, or something you used to see on the Ed Sullivan show, <laughs> you know, some weird magic uh, kind of thing. Well, the, the book of Revelation is, is so uh, uh, unlike anything else in the Bible it, that even the early Christian fathers, uh, church fathers, had... Uh, a lot of lingering doubts about whether they should include it in the Bible. I guess it just barely made it in, and some Bibles it doesn't. Yeah, that's right. The Eastern Orthodox, I don't yeah. think, use it. Yeah. But in, in fairness, we should point out this whole concept of the rapture. Uh, Christian theologians from for centuries managed to study their Bible and their scriptures, and they didn't. They didn't come up with this with this 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 notion. And this is a, a recent development based on some American churches. It's relatively recent in this century. Uh, well, there's a, there's an early film about it. It, 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 it was made in 1941, 
which I actually give the, I give, it's, which is available online it's a, for, for free viewing if you can stand it. It's a really, it's a, one of those bad, tacky Christian educational films, you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you gave some descriptions of some of these cinematic efforts. They did sound like the Christian versions of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah, and they, and they look like it, too, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got a kick out of many of your suggestions for this Christian film industry. My favorite one was you suggested they might want to make the Jesus Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's kind of what it comes down to. I mean, he, he's smoting everyone in sight. You know. <laughs> you you set aside this, this sort of the battle lines being drawn in Armageddon, basically as God versus Van Halen. <laughs> exactly. It's sort of satanic rock. Uh, I also I also envision various contests that God and Satan will, will, will engage in, like, you know, pro-wrestling, <laughs> so forth. I mean, I don't, you know, why not? Well, I know recently that Ronald Reagan in those, those uh, diaries they published, he had Armageddon all throughout his diaries, and, uh, and George W. Bush, of course, is reputed to be a big-time believer. What, what, would, you, what would you say to the, to, to the executive branch leadership uh, regarding all this? That's the one serious and really frightening repercussion of the disbelief in the raptures that apparently a lot of high-level politicians and military people, the people whose fingers on the buttons believe that the end is coming soon, and why not give it a little, you know, jump start? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of frightening, and it's, it's true, so I'm hoping uh, perhaps in my small way I can raise a little awareness about this. You shouldn't really be blending, you know, uh, apocalyptic Christianity with politics and and the military. No, no. Bad combination. <laughs> well, Jim, uh, any final advice out there for people out there? There's some people I know have sort of this gnawing sense. They see all these events taking place in the world, and they're being told this is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Uh, well, what, what do you say to those who sort of sort of think, well, gee, may, maybe there is something to this? Well, build an ark. <laughs> <laughs> if you really think so, you know, just be on the safe side. You know, so what if your neighbors think you're a little, you know, eccentric? The book is Beam Me Up, Jesus, A Heathen's Guide to the Rapture. Author Jim Gerard has written humor for New Republic, Travel and Leisure, Cosmopolitan, Playboy, and feature pieces for Salon, The Washington Post, and many other magazines. We're kind of at the end of it here. Jim, any, any final words you want to have for our listeners? Yeah, uh, if they would want to read some excerpts from Beam Me Up, or from my other book, uh, Who Moved My Secret, which is a parody of the mega New Age bestseller, The Secret, and, and it's another form of magical thinking. They can go to my website, which is gangof60, and that's 60.com, and they can also watch funny promotional videos that I made for both books. The books are available from Nation Books. They're online at Amazon, MarsNoble.com, and in all the bookstores. All right, I'm looking forward to seeing some of those clips from those early uh Christian films myself. You can't miss it. All right, Jim Gerard, we thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me. This program was produced by... Edward McMillan, you've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. Anyway, our thanks to Chris Hedges, reporter for the New York Times, as well as author, journalist, playwright, and stand-up comic Jim Gerard. Go to the place